Welcome to the Garage Cast, a weekly podcast focused on innovation, education, and strategy. Hosted by Michael Iani Polarchio. Hi, everybody. This is Michael Iani Polarchio, your host. I am the head of Innovation and Strategic Projects here at Branksome Hall, and welcome to episode 22 on Friday, March the 31st. I can't believe we're at the end of March, but here we are, and here you are for an exciting episode where I'm so just jazzed to talk about, in segment one of the Garage Cast, we're going to be talking about innovation. This is an innovation podcast, and we're going to start off this week's episode on the topic of innovation. So stay tuned for that segment one. Segment two, I've got two super cool artificial intelligence tools or services that are for education that I think are super exciting and I want to be able to share with the uh, educators Uh, in our listening audience. So thanks again for joining. Without further ado, let's get started, everybody. Buckle up. It is great to have been back on campus this week. First week back after March break, as I mentioned in last week's garage cast. I always love coming back, uh, you know, see my colleagues uh, and the Branksome community and again that high energy of students. But people when they are off for the March break, whether they are taking some vacation time or just some slow time at home, those innovation juices and energy start flowing. And we talked about that last week. And so this week, uh, I have found through the week, you know, right at the start of our week uh, on the Monday, I had a, uh, our senior leadership team met and it was terrific. And people talking about, hey, I visited this amazing school or, hey, here's like a really innovative article that I read about or an exciting development I read about or, hey, I went and led a workshop and saw what other groups were doing. And so the week started off with this outlook around the art of the possible. I led a strategy working session and workshop with um, my IT department here, which again is very future forward looking. And of course, innovation is a part of that. I had the opportunity to work with our 32 students in our junior school business accelerator, the Noodle Program, and they too, as we stepped into design thinking and learning about design thinking and applying it so that they can start to flush out ideas around their business concepts, these young learners were innovating. And then a number of things that I've been working on and preparing for in and around some really strategic and uh, very innovative initiatives has got me, again, all week long, just 
enjoying staying in that space of innovation. And as we've talked about, you know, a lot of times before, innovation is so critical in education. You know, we from a from a, a student perspective, we are building this innovator's mindset in our students. It's important. And we know that it can improve student engagement and motivation. We know that it unlocks creativity and the ability for them to develop skills in and around collaboration, critical thinking, and of course, you know, a whole host of other 21st century quote unquote skills. We know that innovation as well can help our ourselves as the adults in our school setting. It helps educators and administrators to tackle problems that you may have and how do we approach those and find solutions um, to resolve these issues or to have um, positive change that happens within the organization. And again, I have a very broad definition of innovation. It doesn't always mean using tech um, or inventing, you know, brand new crazy things. It can be just disrupting the status quo, finding new ways of approaching and solving problems, or new ways of approaching just how we do things, how we disrupt the status quo. But then there is sort of capital I innovation, which is the it's the once in a lifetime, you know, one in 100 kind of innovation that comes out of an organization um, where it's not just about creating better ways of doing things or solving problems, but really fundamentally turning something on its head. And of course, this isn't new. Uh, it happens all the time across organizations. It's happened through human history. And there is a process for how innovation unfolds. There are skills. You know, we talk about building the innovator's mindset in our students. Part of the work I do in the garage here at Branksome Hall is to facilitate the building of capacity of innovation skills in our employees. But innovation requires not just those skills and not just at an individual level, a mindset. It really requires a cultural environment inside organizations that supports and encourages experimentation and the ability to collaborate in different ways across different groups. That ability to truly, truly take a risk and know that there is reward in taking that risk even if there's a failure, however we want to define failure. We know that you know innovation requires a vision and strategy, which one of the things I love about being here at Branksome is that strategy is a part of our, our DNA. And that vision and strategy has to align with 
the goals and values of the organization. It has to align and, and itself live and thrive within the cultural mix that is within your organization. And innovation, I think, clearly, you know, I'm the head of innovation and strategic projects, so I come with a bias, but let's just call it a passion and not, not a bias. I really, truly, truly believe that innovation is absolutely critical for educational institutions and um, organizations to embrace if we want to remain relevant in the lives of our students. I would say relevant even just as us for in the educator community, but for sure in terms of being relevant in the lives of our students and in the eyes of our parents. And for a school like Branksome Hall, independent school, you know, it's incredibly important to remain relevant and I would say competitive. We want to be providing the very best that we can around the choices that we've made strategically. And so to me, innovation is the vehicle to do that. You know, we've talked about a number of times how fast things change in the world. We've talked numerous times around exponential change that's swirling around everybody. Each and every one of you is experiencing that. And your organizations, my organization are experiencing that. And the world that the students will go into will have experienced many, many times of exponential change by the time they leave Branksome and they go on to do post-secondary and then go out into the world. And because the world is changing faster than it ever has before, so are the skills and competencies that learners need to succeed. And I would say educational organizations like Branksome because we have a responsibility to prepare learners for that change, we as institutions need to change as well. If we're really going to equip them with the tools and the mindsets, we have to be well positioned. And we do that, I believe, through innovation. So the, the million dollar question is how can a traditional educational institution foster a culture of innovation? How can we design learning experiences that are relevant, meaningful, personalized? How can we leverage technology and um, data to enhance how we deliver and what we deliver? How it enhances learning outcomes and optimizes our resources. How can we, as an educational institution, collaborate with other stakeholders and partners to create a shared vision and a network of support? Now, this is, again, it's, it's what I think about here as often as I can. It's my mandate here to think about how we 
build innovation capacity. You know, we're building an innovation center, our innovation center and studio theater, which we call the ICAST. There's a big hole in the ground. For those of you that are, you know, part of the Branksome community, you see it, you hear it. It's not enough to just build that building. The building will give us space. It's the resource. The building can be our inspiration. But we've got to be able to shift culture and we've got to be able to nurture the innovation mindset. It's not enough to equip someone who then says, yes, I've got the innovation mindset. Yeah, I've got the skills to go off and do something innovative. And then somebody comes up with a wild and crazy innovative idea or direction. Why does it falter so many times? I want to play a clip from another podcast. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Harvard Business Review, HBR, has a terrific podcast um, called The Idea Cast, and they recently had a really excellent guest that uh, is in the space of um, innovation. Um, the guest is a gentleman named Astro Teller, um, and he is the CEO of a company called X. And what X is, um, you, you may or may not know that Google, um, they created sort of a parent company. So of course we know Google, you know, Gmail, Google search, but the parent is called Alphabet. And to allow for creative, long-term, they call them moonshot projects, they wanted an innovation incubator, kind of like what we've done here at Branksome on a much smaller scale with the garage. They created, originally called it Google X, now it's simply called X. And he has a super interesting background. He's, a, he's a, uh, an incredibly smart uh, fellow and a really fun fellow to listen to. I've heard him speak on a number of occasions. His background, you know, he's an entrepreneur. Um, he's written books. He's an author, a scientist. Um, anyway, on the idea cast, the episode was around how do you create an organization that allows for true innovation. And it's a really great episode. I would encourage you to um, uh, go and find it. Again, that's on the idea cast. Um, uh, and for, for them, it's episode 903. I have a little segment that I want to uh, insert here as part of this week's Garage Cast because the question to Astro was, you know, how do you create those innovation processes and how do you build those innovation capabilities in people. And there is a process and there are skills, but the real key, take a listen to this clip and 
it becomes obvious what one of the great barriers inside organizations is in terms of realizing innovation. It really comes down to, A, how serious are you about the thing that you want? And then, if you're really serious about it, then you have to commit to the practice of actually making people feel good about doing it. So here was my innovation, your one hour innovation lecture in 60 seconds. <laughs> choice A, choice B. Choice A, you can give a million dollars of value to your business this year, guaranteed. Or choice B, you can give a billion dollars of value to your business this year, but it's not guaranteed. It's one chance in a hundred. A, million, guaranteed. B, billion, one chance in a hundred. I've done this all over the world. And I say, who's choosing choice A? Nobody raises their hand. Who's choosing choice B? Everybody, big smile on their face, raises their hand. And I say, okay, now leave your hand up if in your wildest dreams, on their best days, your manager, your CEO, your board of directors supports you choosing choice B, even kind of a little bit. And every hand in the room goes down. And then I say, you don't need a lecture on innovation. You need a new manager. This is the problem is everyone asks for innovation, but they're not actually willing to support the innovation because innovation is mostly about making mess and you can try to do it efficiently. That's what we try to do, but you can't make the mess go away. And almost nobody is actually tolerant of the mess. I hope uh, you, you like that. I, I loved it. The whole, the whole podcast was terrific, but that little clip, the gem out of that clip is around getting comfortable with mess. And I would add from a garage perspective, it's getting comfortable with uncertainty, disruption, and doing things that can go against the grain of your core business. And for us in education, that means doing things that just don't feel like traditional education. This should be, for longtime listeners of the Garage Cast, you should be thinking of Clay Christensen and our episode number four, way back in November of 2022, when we talked about the pitfalls of innovation what Clay Christensen calls the innovator's dilemma. And Astro Teller is really pointing to what that dilemma is, is that even when you've built capacity in people within your organization to innovate, and even when you've got this desire to innovate, organizationally, the processes and uh, leadership quite often, again, he mentions a manager, he mentions a CEO, he mentions a board. They want innovation because they know that innovation allows for long-term value. That once-in-a-lifetime, you know, unlocking that moonshot. But they want that without potential disruption to the core business the core purpose, core offering of the organization. 
That is the innovator's dilemma. And so Astro talks about how do you nurture that within the organization. And, and I think, you know, if it's grassroots, then it starts, you know, what can you do within your sphere of influence to allow those around you to, to feel empowered to do that, to get comfortable with the mess, to know that they'll be rewarded through the mess. And what does success look like? He, the, later in the podcast, he has a great line, which for us as educators, we know this in our very hearts. He says, I'm paraphrasing, learning doesn't come from success. Learning is equated directly to failure. We learn when we don't succeed. That's, that's how we, our students learn. If you're succeeding, then you've already done something. You're, you're doing something that you already know. And in order to facilitate and enable and nurture innovation, we have to make people comfortable that when they fail at some crazy, wild, innovative idea, that's okay because we learn from that. And he has another great expression in his podcast where he, he says, all of those failures within X, it's like innovation compost. It's the stuff that goes into the next innovation initiative. Now, to be clear, there is a process because what you want to be able to do is to identify and be comfortable with saying, we've reached a point where this experiment, the hypothesis has not been proven out, so we, we stop that. We kill that project and we get on to the next one. Clay Christensen makes it really clear that through the innovator's dilemma, because it is so hard to overcome that organizational inertia, those structures that in a sense clamp down inside organizations to, to, to not allow for innovation projects to proceed because it is disrupting the status quo. Clay Christensen talks about, you know, the only way to do that uh, and give those innovation projects any measure of success is to spin them out of the organization. And in a sense, you know, Google's or Alphabet's uh, X is something that sits outside of the organization. The innovation permeates back into Alphabet for sure. But in order to allow it to, to take hold, it's like, it's like, you know, I live on a farm and um, we sort of hobby farm part of it. And when <laughs> you uh, look out in late July and early August and you see a field filled with tomatoes, those tomatoes didn't start where you see them. We plant those early in the spring inside. We incubate them. That's why things like X 
and the garage are called incubators. You have to create special conditions to allow the seeds of innovation to take hold. And then if they don't, okay, compost it. Compost those tomatoes that uh, haven't quite worked out in, you know, indoors in the sunroom. But when they do take hold, go plant them in the field. When those seeds of innovation do take hold, then bring elements of that back into your organization or, you know, from the, from the perspective of uh, uh, what Astro Teller leads there at X, they end up pushing things out of X and into the world and they become businesses that stand on their own. So it was a, it's an excellent episode. Uh, I'm always happy to you know refer to other resources here on the Garage Cast, and they don't always have to be technical tools or or books I've read. In this case, it's a podcast, a great podcast. But it really lends itself to the how around innovation. And since we were talking about innovation here on the Garage Cast this week, I thought it was it was fitting to share some of that. It was it was quite coincidental because I was shaping the podcast earlier in the week, um, you know, sort of bulleting out what I wanted to talk about, and then I was driving into work um, on Wednesday. And the idea cast came up in my, my playlist uh, as a new episode. And as I listened to it, I knew that this was a good link to what I wanted to talk about and share with you and get you thinking about for yourself, no matter your role inside your organization. in segment two, I want to talk about an interesting artificial intelligence tool that is specifically for education. It is a tool called Press2, or I guess you could pronounce it Presto, I guess. It's P-R-E-S-S-T-O. So I think it's Press2. But anyway, um, what it is, is it's leveraging artificial intelligence. And it, it says here, we put AI in the hands of teachers to uniquely inspire students' writing in fun, scaffolded experiences on any subject or topic in seconds. Uh, and so what exactly is this doing? Um, they've got a series of tools um, they've got one that says, try the assignment assistant, for instance. <clears throat> and the idea is it allows you to um, create prompts for uh, writing assignments. So when I click uh, try the writing um, uh, the assignment assistant, it comes up and it says generate a writing prompt. So I can pick any topic that I would like. So let's say um, I say um, clean water as a 
basic human right. Okay, let's say that's the topic I wanted as an educator. Just below that, uh, it says grade level. So what grade level am I um, working with? And that ranges from grade two all the way to grade 12. So let's say I was preparing this for my grade eights. Let's say we were doing something in and around um, water. And then beside the grade level, it's got writing plan, um, which is optional. You can choose none, or you can um, choose any one of the following options. News article, story or personal narrative, op-ed slash review, sequence, cause and effect, compare and contrast, problem and solution, and description. And so what this is, is it it builds whatever you choose into the nature of the prompt. So let me give you an example. Let's say I do compare and contrast. So now on my screen uh, for the writing prompt generation, the writing topic, clean water as a basic human right, grade level eight, writing plan, compare and contrast. And then below that, there's a button that says generate writing prompts. And when I click that, it's off thinking now. There's a cute little feather fountain pen and it's come back with three suggested prompts. So give this a listen. Imagine you are an eighth grade student living in two different countries. In one country, clean water is a basic human right, while in the other, it is not. Compare and contrast your experience in each of these countries when it comes to access to clean water. What types of differences do you observe? How does this affect people's lives? Okay. There's two other similar prompts. I won't read them both. Um, and th all three of these are a compare and contrast prompt in and around my writing topic. If I had um, chosen instead of compare and contrast, let's say I had chosen sequence. All I simply do is uh, click generate a writing prompt. It is now using the little feathered fountain pen again. And now it's come up and it says, imagine your life without access to clean water. Write a story that describes what it would be like on a day-to-day -day basis. What challenges do you face? How do they affect your daily routine and the lives of those around you? And again, it's generated three prompts. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick one more uh, and then we'll see what it generates. And then I'm going to change the grade level uh, just so we can sort of see the nature of what it's doing. So let's say I go to problem and solution. I click generate writing prompts. Now, of course, this could all be done with ChatGPT. Um, but what we've got here is the emergence of very specialized niche tools that wraps some structure around the ChatGPT functionality so that it is producing things that teachers are used to uh, and that teachers would require. So now my uh, prompts, this is around problem and solution, still for eighth grade, write an essay discussing the importance of clean water as a basic human right. Analyze how access to safe and clean drinking water has been disrupted in your community state or country due to environmental damage, pollution, climate change, or political issues. Suggest ways that individuals, businesses, and governments can work together 
to secure this fundamental human right for all citizens. So that's three examples that we've gone through um, for an eighth grade writing assignment using different writing plans. I'm going to leave it as problem and solution, and I'm going to make it for second grade and simply say generate writing prompts. So it's the same topic, it's the same writing plan, problem and solution, but this is now aimed to a second grade student, and it has come up with here. What could you do to help make sure that everyone has access to clean drinking water? Think of a plan and write it down. Be as specific as possible so that others can understand what you are suggesting. There's one, for instance, for second grade. If I read the second one, Clean water is an important thing we should all have access to. What are some problems that people face when they don't have clean water? How can you help solve these problems? So, you know, as I come across these, you know, it is obvious that ChatGPT, OpenAI type um, large language model platforms and tools are going to permeate many, many other platforms and tools with high levels of specialization. And this is exciting because, you know, ChatGPT can be used for anything. Um, and sometimes you're not even sure what to do with it. Uh, and that can be a good thing. When we see something like this one here, Presto, or however they, they pronounce it, Presto or Presto, it is providing a very specific functional use case for an end user, in this case, an educator. Um, and specifically in and around writing prompts. So it's pretty pretty exciting. Uh, I thought it was uh, an interesting tool. There are some free things that you can use, like the one that I just um, gave as an example. You can create an account, which I have not done, and I'm sure that there are various paid services. So if you're an educator listening to the Garage Cast, you're welcome. Check that tool out and see how it might be something you can leverage as part of your lesson planning. The second tool I wanted to share again is built atop of these AI type platforms. This tool is called Perplexity and you can find it at perplexity.ai. That's P-E-R-P-L-E-X-I-T-Y dot A-I. And what perplexity allows you to do is simply, it's, a, it's got a little um, box here that just says, ask us anything. So I typed in, how does quantum computing work? And it's written me a paragraph. Again, I won't read all the details, but it starts off. Quantum computing is a type of computing that uses quantum bits or qubits uh, or qubits to process information and it goes on and on and on. There's also a, a little hyperlink inside the uh, opening line here around quantum that if you click it, it um, uh, will generate additional uh, information around quantum. There's a little button that allows me to view detail. So it's given me a concise one paragraph. When I click view detail, it expands that to three paragraphs. I can, of course, click again, view concise, and it reduces it down. And it's given me three sources that I can go to, um, IBM, Harvard Business Review, and Caltech. And they're just showing me their names. If I expand that, it shows me, again, the names with a little bit of detail. So under IBM, 
It says, what is quantum computing from IBM? And there's a little snippet. HBR, quantum computing is coming. What can it do? And there's a little snippet. And Caltech, what is quantum computing? And there's a little snippet. So it's showing you the three sources that it used to generate its one paragraph for you. Then below that, it says, ask us a follow-on question. So I wrote, how can I teach this to a grade 10 computer science class? This is where the educator part comes in. And it's written me another lovely paragraph. Teaching quantum computing to a grade 10 science class can be challenging, but there are resources available. One course designed for high school students between 15 and 18 years old is called, is called quantum computing as a high school module. And there's a little link um, to that. And the paragraph goes on. Again, there's four sources here. There's <clears throat> a source that's called ARXIV. Don't know what that is. IBM, Caltech, and Scientific America. Um, and what's interesting is it gives you related questions um, below that as well that you can continue to uh, um, explore. Let's try a different one. There's a button that says new thread. So I've clicked new thread. Uh, it says ask me anything. So if I say how can design thinking be used for upcycling? Okay, This is a unit that we have in grade 8 design and it's now given me the little uh, brief paragraph. Design thinking can be used for upcycling in various ways, and it goes on and on. And the three related questions are, what is design thinking approach? What is the design thinking approach for upcycling? How can upcycling be used in a market space or maker space? What are some examples of upcycling in design? And then below, there's ask a follow-up question. So if I said, um, uh, what is a unit for grade eight for upcycling. Okay, so again, imagine I'm a teacher and I'm formulating my thoughts. So it's now saying there is no specific unit for grade eight for upcycling mentioned uh, in the previous search results, so it's looked at that. However, there are various upcycling activities and projects that can be used in the classroom, and it goes on to list a whole series of them. There are four sources that it's given. And now the related questions are as follows, that I could click on and continue to pull um, generated content from, from perplexity. Question one, what are some examples of upcycling projects for grade eight students? Number two, how to incorporate upcycling in, into a lesson plan? Three, what are benefits of upcycling in the classroom? So if I click the little plus sign on how to incorporate upcycling into a lesson plan, it goes off and generates the query. So again, perplexities come up with various ways to incorporate upcycling into a lesson plan, all sourced, and then a series of other related um, questions. What are some examples of upcycling projects for different age groups? How can upcycling be incorporated into different subjects such as science or art? What are some benefits of upcycling for the environment and the community? So again, these are all things that I could do with ChatGPT. But you can see how they've wrappered an interface. Okay? And this is, I think, what, what is super important, is that ChatGPT is a 
user interface that sits atop of OpenAI's large language model. When you are sitting at your computer, whether you're on a Windows machine or a Mac, and you're using your mouse and you're clicking on things, that's a user interface. And that transformed how computing worked for people. If I go back to you know, the early 80s, and I was a very young child, but still computing, everything was text-based. You know, I sat at a computer, green text glowing, and you would issue commands and the computer would do things. And then the user interface emerged, came out of Xerox PARC. Uh, Apple took concepts from that and, and, and created their, their computing platform. And then Microsoft um, copied that, that metaphor, that paradigm, and put it on and created Windows. And that user interface really made computing more and more accessible to greater numbers of people. And large language models, we've talked about that before on, on the garage cast, these, these large language models, which people are calling artificial intelligence, to make them accessible, they needed to create a user interface. And the little text box in ChatGPT is version one of that user interface. But when you start to see tools like the two that I've just referenced, Press2 and Perplexity, this is a refinement. This is a next generation of a user interface. And it makes the tool become more and more accessible to various groups of people. So that's one thing that's happening in the space of artificial intelligence. People are creating new ways to interface so that the tool becomes more available. The other thing that's happening is why are we seeing AI being built into everything now? Everybody's jumping into this. Everyone wants to leverage the ChatGPT platform and put it into their own product. Well, this is something that's really happened throughout history. Think about tools that people had before the advent of electricity, right? A drill, for instance, was a manual drill, various manual types of, of drills that you would have, and they're still available. And you would, you know, turn your hand and the drill bit would turn and you would drill a hole into a piece of wood. Well, with the advent of electricity, you just simply take the same tool and add electricity to it. Obviously, there's got to be a motor, but you, you know what I mean. You're, it's the electrification of a tool. And suddenly, that tool's utility increases. The same thing was true with the Internet. Right? When the Internet and the World Wide Web the internet first, obviously, and then the World Wide Web is a user interface on top of the internet. When this emerged in the world and people were using it in a particular way, we reached a tipping point where suddenly everything was becoming internet enabled, right? As Wi-Fi became pervasive, suddenly tools that we've always used that were never connected to the internet suddenly are being connected to the internet. My refrigerator at home is connected to the internet. And the utility I get from that is if I leave the door open, it, it's beeping in the kitchen, obviously, but it's also pushing out an alert to my phone to say, hey, 
The refrigerator door's been left open. Or the power, you know, maybe I'm away and the power drops at home. And when the power comes back on, the refrigerator sends me an alert to say, hey, I've been without power. Automobiles have been internet connected and it increases their utility. Take the Tesla, for instance. It can receive software updates over the air and that means that the car is always remaining current. It can be used to remote start the car from your phone. It can be used to locate the car using GPS. And so you can see that by adding the internet connectivity to everyday items that we've been using from household appliances to automobiles and whatever else, it increases their utility. And the same is true about artificial intelligence. And we're going to see this over the next year. And some things, the utility won't be that great. People will say, well, you know, there was really no need to add artificial intelligence or ChatGPT-like functionality to this service or tool. But there will be instances that as we see it continuing to populate various tools we use, whether they're digital tools or physical tools, there are going to be these aha moments. And so between those two dynamics, adding artificial intelligence to increase the utility of products that we already use and in effect create new products, and attempts to continue to create to the next generation of user interface by delivering us very specialized types of tools like Press2 and Perplexity, we're going to see an explosion of AI capabilities and use cases. And to me, that's super exciting. Wow, we're already at 45 minutes. This is the longest garage cast yet, I think. And uh, time flies when you're having fun. But we are going to bring episode 22 to a close here. Thank you again for listening and for participating. Because again, I've been receiving lots of emails from people. And I've been having, at least with those that are here on campus, lots of conversations. There's lots of interest and so thank you, uh, both for just being a listener and, and or being a contributor. I hope that you have a terrific remainder of Friday. Happy Friday. And that you have a terrific upcoming weekend. As always, stay innovative and stay well. This is Michael Ianni Polarchio of the GarageCast broadcasting to you from number four here at Bransom Hall saying ciao.